da, 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 Codex Zangors. So, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it's back. We're going to talk Man. about Zangor some more. Man. Bleeding <laughs> haunts my dreams. All right, guys. So today's topic is going to be on using Zangors in the assault phase. Uh, I'm going to be talking a lot about some of the advanced tactics that I've kind of learned over the past year. Uh, this is everything from, you know, trapping units uh, to how you actually pull off certain charges. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to talk you guys through this. I know this is something that we tend to talk a little bit more about with, like, video guides or battle reports, I guess. Uh, those tend to be a pretty good way of communicating that. But yep. we're going to try so, and verbally talk through these a little Yep, bit. we're going to need you to open up your third eye that you know all Thousand Suns players have and just feel what we're saying i thought that was just acne oh, well. wait is that what that is <laughs> no it's a third eye that's oh we'll okay with, we'll go with that we'll go with that okay yeah, that's good all right <clears throat> and then uh we've also got warzone houston coming up this weekend we do and both of us are going mm -hmm. and we'll have a chance to talk a little bit about that so why don't we uh without any further delay jump into uh zangor tactics okay. so you've got zangors and you're gonna put them in your army i want to try and break this down from before we even get to the point where we talk about charging if you're gonna take zangors in your army uh, is there any reason for you to take less than 20 in, in my opinion i don't think there is so <clears throat> there actually could potentially be a reasons to have smaller units. For instance, if you're trying to fit in an extra battalion and you just don't have the points to for the larger unit, it can be worthwhile. Um, also, <clears throat> smaller unit sizes can make it easier to pull off certain tricks, uh, mostly revolving around deep striking. Mm -hmm. Meaning being able to fit in certain... For certain board. portions of the board, because people tend to screen off very well, and so if you uh, have a smaller unit, you can sort of treat them like a disposable assassin unit, as it were. That's a very good point. Um, in my opinion, I would lean more towards the, if you're going to take Zangors, or how I build my lists, if I take Zangors, I take them in at least a squad side of so 20 uh, and I always have a Brayhorn in that squad. So I either yeah. use them for an offensive purpose in the game, or I opt for taking a Cultist or uh, Rubric Brain squad in as an alternative. And at 20, uh, you're about 150 points with the Brayhorn, with your Zangors. And so you're better off at that point, like if you're just trying to meet the battalion or you're trying to just squeeze points in the way I look at it, that's how I do that. Yeah. So let's assume for the purposes of this discussion that when we're working with our Zangors, we're going to be talking about them from your typical standpoint, your typical size of, say, 20. Uh, mm -hmm. Most people I know that I've seen in lists, uh, they'll take them in blobs of 30, uh, the quote-unquote Zangor bomb. So with that, you're most of the time, in 99% of your cases, and Mike, you made a very good um case where you might be able to sneak them in but even in those cases uh you're going to need to make uh, a nine inch charge and with the brave horn that's going to turn that into an eight inch charge mm -hmm. which means 
the most important thing for us to have figured out is how can we get a reroll of some kind on that charge? Because rolling a eight plus on 2d6 is not the most reliable thing in the world. And you do need to have some kind of reroll mechanic to help you make sure that you get them into combat. Yeah. So there's three available to us. Obviously, command reroll, the, the stratagem that everybody has. Uh, we also have access to Gaze of Fate. And then the third one is actually the one of the abilities on the Mutilith Vortex Beast lets you reroll charges. Uh, so you that as far as I'm aware, those are the only three ways we have in order to reroll a charge. Am I missing any? I believe that is correct. So if we know that we're going to be deep striking like that, and we know we now have that in our back pocket, it's important to remember that we can deploy, whenever we do deploy our Zangors, we can deploy them in a way to try and ease back on if we fail. Uh, but we'll wait a second before we get there. Um, because there was one other thing that I did want to throw in there is that if you are deep striking, you also want to make sure that you have the ability to get something like a reroll one aura into range, like a demon prince, Aramon, an exalted sorcerer, or Magnus. Those are really the only the only ways you're going to get that mechanic. Uh, and that can actually make a really big difference. Obviously, the the other way to improve your performance there with them when they do get into combat is prescience. Uh, you could also get the same mechanic out of a Zangor Shaman nearby. Uh, but in all of those cases, you're going to need to get them into range. And if you are deep striking uh, with the webway stratagem, that's going to be turn two. So you have a little bit of leeway to get across the board to them. Yeah. But if you're trying to use something like the dark matter crystal, you're probably going to have to think about having prescience in your back pocket so that you can increase their efficiency in combat. And just so you know the difference in percentages here, uh, it, and we'll get to this in a second, but the difference between hitting on threes and hitting on twos with your Zangors is 65% roughly versus 80%. Yes, that's that's a pretty big gap there. Thinking on that point, the most important thing I think is to have a plan for how you want to use your Zangors when you do charge them in. Um, and it's more than just do what do I want to kill? Because in some cases, what I might want to do is actually lock something up in combat. Uh, the other thing I might want to do is actually just get something into combat so that it has to fall back. Very good yeah. example would be against guard or tank commanders. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But you want to have a plan going in, and you want that plan to be realistic. And what I mean by that is a good plan is if I'm staring down a bunch of grots that are shielding like a shock attack gun, charging the grots is a good idea. On the flip side, if I'm staring down a mob of plague bearers and they're blocking like a plague burst crawler, Charging them with my Zangors and hoping to get to the Plague Burst Crawler is bad. Now, the reason that's probably bad is because we can do some quick math on that and realize that we're probably going to be at minus one to hit. Uh, mm -hmm. They're T4, so 50% of our wounds, whatever does get through, 50% are going to get through. 
which means they're going to be then saving on fives just like we would. And then they even have a disgusting resilience of five against our one damage, which means very few of those are actually going to get through and die. Yeah. So the so one of the things I want to focus on real quick is how you make that quick assessment and how you can do some quick math up front if you're ever confused uh, or or you're uncertain of what's going to happen. So let's take an example where we have 20 Zangors. Each Zangor has two attacks. So we're going to have a total of 40 attacks, which if they're hitting on threes and we haven't buffed them at all, uh, that's going to be 32 hits. Now how you get to 32 so quickly, there's a really easy way to do some, some like quick hammer here. Uh, and the importance of this is not to be if you think about math as like a precise, I, I need the exact answer to have it be valid or not, then you're going to take more time than you need to get to the answer. What you really are looking for is just, it, it's like a way of just running hazy math where I, I might say, okay, if I need to hit on threes, then I'm going to calculate 65% of the, uh, the hits. Uh, and the way I do that, uh, to do that real quick, uh, there's a little trick where you can just take, let's say, 40 attacks, and I divide that by 10, so that's four. And then if I'm hitting on threes, that's 65, right? That's 65%. So if I divide 40 by 10, that's four times 6.5 or six and a half. So if I just say, okay, I'm going to multiply that by six to be um, conservative, that give me uh, 24, and then I just add a zero or 2.4 and then add zero at the end. And then that's 24 attacks that we get through. So that's how, that's how I do that little trick real quick. So you just divide whatever it is by 10 to get rid of it. And then you're just multiplying single numbers more or less. And you can make, you can round down as a way to get a conservative number and use that as a way to really lock in whether it's a good decision or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, the ability to properly gauge whether or not what you're about to try is effective is a big part of being able to make good decisions. And it's and tough so. when you're looking at things and you're trying to, you know, work out, do I have enough, do I have enough hits to get through everything? Right. Yeah. So if we take the Grotz example, we're, or let's just say we're going against boys, uh, even, even more equitable. Uh, he's got a bunch of boys that are standing between us. We just calculated that we would get 24 hits through. And yeah. so we're wounding on fours. Now, the great thing is whenever you see fours is you can just divide whatever it is by two. So if I'm hitting, if I'm wounding on fours, that means 12 wounds I can expect to probably get through, which means he's got, you know, the most, if he failed every single save, the most that would live would be 12, right? unless I rolled really, really great and I need to treat that as a bonus. So if he's just got 10 boys sitting there and I'm looking at, hey, on average, 12 wounds should get through, those favors, th those odds are very much in my favor, uh, considering I was pretty conservative with my calculation on the total hits getting through. Yeah. So at that point, I'm looking at that math and I'm thinking, you know what, I should be able to get through those 10 boys. So just a little bit of a helpful thing there, um, helpful kind of trick to look through that. I'm, I'm very bad at math, so I need all sorts of like stupid, stupid tricks and things to do bad math. 
one last thing before we get a little bit more to, or we get through the plan here. Um, if you think about the re-rolls for your charges, and let's say we figured out, okay, I know where I need to charge. I know that it's a good charge for me to make. I know it's a good target for me to send my Zangors into. Think backwards from your plan and that if you need to have a command point to re-roll, if you're gonna rely on that, don't use that command point on something earlier if you're, if you're gonna be pretty uh, tight on command points to begin with. Uh, so remember that you're gonna need that one for that fight phase. Uh, or the charge phase, my bad. And then if you're planning on swinging twice, that costs two stratagems or two command points. So you're gonna wanna have then three total sitting aside. And then if something goes wrong or you know, let's say they have the ability to counterattack based on um, the fact that you have more than one unit charging. Uh, and that's the easiest way to remember whether that's gonna be important or not. If you have more than one unit charging into combat, uh, or if you don't and you only have one unit charging, you never have to worry about counterattacks. It's when you have more than one unit that get in, that's when that becomes important because then you can actually have that interaction happen. And this is kind of one of those big things where having one unit that is really, really powerful to throw into combat kind of defeats the ability to counterattack. Yeah. That, but in case that does come up and they are going to counterattack, you have the possibility of potentially facing some morale issues on your Zangors at the end of the turn. And if you, if you need them to stick around, like if you're banking on them being able to stay, lock something up in combat, but even just for one turn, and you just need it to roll into their turn so they have to either fall back or do something, that you might need another two command points. So you could be talking about as much as like five command points there that you need to have in your back pocket for something that might on the surface just kind of appear like, oh, I'm good to go. You know, I don't have, I'm, I need one for, you know, the reroll charge and I'm good to go. But you have to, you have to think through the possibilities of what can happen. And the easiest way to make sure you don't screw that up and forget it, just use a different die or like a, a marker for your command points and just sit it over to the side and just use that as a reminder of how many do I need again? Okay, I see it. It says five. Good. All right. So I haven't gone below five. And then when you're making decisions elsewhere, you make them much quicker because you know, Hey, I haven't exceeded my limit here. I'm good to go. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, the other thing to also remember is that when we do go to make your charge, one of the things when you're deploying them with a bunch of Zangors, the bigger the squad, the, the easier that it is to do this. But when you bring them in, one of the things you can actually do is you can snake out your Zangors to get them into range with other other units. So if you want to get that reroll or you want to get within range of a shaman that wasn't quite able to maybe on an advance roll get close enough, what you can do is just put them, just put like one or two Zangors back within coherency of the squad to get you that extra range so that you do get that aura and you yeah. do get that bonus. <clears throat> when you charge, you just kind of leave them snaked out so that as long as they're within range of one model, you're that whole unit's going to get that effect. Yeah, and on the topic of daisy chaining, the other thing you can do is if, for instance, you're having to rely on, like, um, warp time to get your auras in range, this doesn't quite work out. Uh, you can also use your charge roll to further extend the daisy chain to get into the aura range. Because technically, right. charge rolls do not require you to move closer to an enemy as long as at least some of your chargers do actually touch. 
Yeah, so that was one of the things we'll talk a little bit more about when we get to like trapping units or um, getting into uh, just getting into a close combat and touching units later yeah. on because that's something you can do there. Um, but one of the things I would recommend that if you are going to daisy chain out like that, a really helpful thing is just to declare your intent with your opponent at that point to just say, hey, look, I'm dropping these guys. They're within six of my demon prints. He gives reroll ones. I just want to make sure you know that's kind of like these guys back here, that's what that's doing. So if I go to reroll ones later, you know why. Um, yeah. And as long as you don't move those guys, that usually just clears it up so that your opponent isn't, you know, having to interrupt you and get an explanation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and also, you know, one of the obvious things that stands out, but maybe not everybody thinks about, throw Glamour Zinch and Weaver of Fates on them. Um, those both apply in close combat just as well as in range shooting. Yeah. So, you know, having minus one to hit can definitely help you, you know, it might not do very much for you against a, a mob of 30 boys, but, you know, it, it's going to help you in a lot of other cases where, you know, space Marines or other things like that, that aren't going to hit you with a lot of attacks. It can help you really good. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about setting up your actual charge. When you do bring them in, one of the things you should be thinking about that's pretty obvious is overwatch. And there are ways you can negate overwatch, especially if you're playing at the competitive level, one of the rules they use in ITC is that the bottom floor of any ruin is always line of sight blocking. Even if there are windows there, they count the bottom floor of every ruin on the board as line of sight blocking. What that does is it means that you can get your infantry behind that wall and you can charge through that wall uh, without taking overwatch because your opponent won't be able to see you. Now, right. there's, also, there's also another trick at this. So let's say you have multiple charges coming in this turn. You can position your Zangors in a way where their prime target might be invisible, might be visible to you. But there might be another target that you're also within nine inches of, uh, or let's just say within 12 inches of, because that's all you have to be. And you might on a on a good roll, you might have enough to get to them. And they don't you don't have line of sight to them. It's a good idea to declare them as a charge as well, because in the event that you roll really good, you're not going to take any downside to declaring them as a as a charge, which means in the event you do roll really good, you can actually put one model into into combat with them and then charge the rest over to the other squad, you know, obviously daisy chaining out and maintaining coherency. And what you've done is you've now negated the possibility of that other squad firing overwatch when your other charges have to come in from another spot. And so you can think about when you're, when you're coming in, you can think about the uh, kind of maximizing your use of your Zangors and their charge. And they're really good at taking overwatch. Um, you know, you got a five up inbound. So even really good DACA is, you've got to save against it and a way to potentially negate some of that, especially if you put Weaver of Fates on there, you can think, hey, I'm going to take at least whatever gets through 40, 50% of that should be negated. Yeah. <clears throat> Always remember also, uh, Mike, on your point about charging different targets, you only ever have to put the first model within one inch of one of your targets. Correct. So let's say we have a squad of guardsmen that we charge and off to the side, there's a hellhound. 
we obviously don't want to declare the hellhound a target because we're going to eat flamers left and right, and that's bad. So what we do is we declare the guardsmen as our charge target. We take overwatch from them. We roll our charge. And because we have enough, uh, hypothetically here, to get to both the guardsmen and the um, hellhound, we move our first model from the Zangor squad into one inch from the guardsmen. And then what we can actually do is as long as at the end of this, the units may maintain coherency, we charge some Zangors over to get within one inch of the Hellhound. And now what we've actually done is we have poked the Hellhounds so that it would have to fall back in order to fire again. And we've locked up the Guardsmen so that we can swing at them. Yes. Now, you have to remember, you're not going to get to attack the Hellhound because you didn't declare it as a target. However, that can work in situations where maybe the hellhound maybe the hellhound is like a, a a battle tank or a tank commander of some kind and all you need to do is just touch that unit well you can use that as a way to do it um, there was a really good player at lvo uh, who was running orcs that did this to me when i was running my dreadnought army is he would declare one of my dreadnoughts the charge target and he would just ignore the rest and all he would do is basically just charge that one, but then the rest of the, the orcs, orc boys would surround the other dreadnoughts and get within one. And basically what would happen was he would kill the one dreadnought and then he's just swinging away and he's locked up all the other ones. And it doesn't matter whether I can fall back or not. I can't file, fall back and shoot. So keep in mind things that can't fall back and shoot, you really want to be able to use Zangors to get in there. And, and we call it bad touching the... Um, <laughs> bad bad touching the vehicle <clears throat> yeah um also don't smite or shoot your targets that you're going to charge yeah because your opponent's just gonna pull the uh guys closest to your zengors and now the nine inch charge is now like a 10 or 12 inch charge and that's just a bad time for your goat that's man. A Yep, and then you're shaking your head afterwards going, why did I do that? You know, you watch them remove them and yep. you're thinking, nah, I, did, I didn't want to do that. So we've all been there, but just a reminder, don't do it. So yeah, you don't want to you don't want to make your charges any harder than they have to be. Um, <clears throat> so the important thing, I think, is just to remember what your goal is when you're charging. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if your goal was to get in and touch a tank, um, stick to that goal. Uh, you know, focus on when you're choosing your targets that you're going to swing at, which units, think about what's the quickest way to get to that goal. Don't worry about maximizing how much you actually kill in combat. Your goal is to accomplish whatever your plan was. Um, and if you think about it, a good player screens off his tanks with guardsmen and, you know, they'll have multiple layers there. You can declare both layers of the guard as long as you get it within 12 and then you have the ability to swing twice, you can use that swing twice ability to get free movement, essentially. Uh, yes. If you're trying to get to that tank commander behind the guardsman, and you just want to get within one inch of that tank commander so that he falls back, remember, they can't fall back and shoot. So to get within one inch of them, you might need that extra, you know, that extra round of swinging so that you can get that model out of the way. Or you might just need that extra bit of movement to go a bit further and get closer to them and get within one. 
Um, remember that you don't need to swing at the tank commander. It's perfectly fine to get into combat, and maybe you're going to take some shots back. That's cool. You can just pull your models from elsewhere in the squad. But ultimately, what you do is you get your guys within one inch of the tank, and you can use that that stratagem to get an additional, if you think about it, the most you could get is six inches out of it in a pile-in and consolidate. So, that's so the other thing to keep in mind is that um, as long as you can poke a hole big enough to put a base through um, in their screen, that's you've accomplished your goal. And so you can get effectively six inches out of a double activation like that so if even if your initial i guess freeze angle that you're going to be using to sort of swing around isn't is only within six by the time you get done because they're going to try to pull models to prevent you from accomplishing the act of getting within one inch of the tank uh you could potentially still get your guy there even if it might have seemed like it's not going to happen initially. Um, initially the, that last tournament we played in when I fought guard my third round, that's literally all I did to win was I poked a hole big enough to f fit a 25 millimeter base through and just wedged my succubus in within an inch of one of his tank commanders. And that pretty much was the end of his tank line. He they existed, but they weren't doing anything for the rest of the game. Right. You're, you're effectively making them even if they fall back, you're you're relegating them to shooting on sixes all the time, and that's yeah. negating a ton of his shooting. Yeah, yeah, and the only the only real inhibiting factor to that is you have to remember that on a model by model basis, when you pile in and consolidate, consolidate your movement has to be towards the closest model. Correct. Now you can gain distance like horizontally around the model versus vertically towards another model. Um, so, you know, for instance, if I'm trying to get around the guardsman to the tank commander behind them, uh, I can use that same guardsman to slingshot the Zangor around that one guardsman and still remain closer. Like if I go from the front of the guardsman to the back of the guardsman, I'm still closer to that single guardsman, but I gain distance closer to the tank. And you can use that as a way to kind of get yourself there um, but in theory, you'd have to essentially get your Zangors almost all the way around. You have to have a really good charge to get around the Guardsmen. Um, mm -hmm. And a good player is going to have them set up in a way that um, almost like in an in a inverted or in a U-shape facing you so that you can't exactly run around the squad to get to the tank. Um, but you can always just set your guys up. If you, if you think about your plan when you're charging and placing your models there, you can set them up to get there. Um, yeah. But we can also talk about kind of the next step, and that is trapping stuff. So this is a trick that started to show up. I, you know, I don't want to say that it originates with him, but I want to say that he was probably the first one to really put it out there, like how to do it and how to really be effective at it um, with trapping models. And that was Nick Donabati uh, about a year and a half ago, or maybe two <laughs> from now. And he had a he had a blog article that talked about some of the intricacies of that and how you could trap models. Um, and the idea is that you trap models by making it so that they can't fall back uh, because you, you have to have room to fit your base. You can't have your base go over another base in any way, shape, or form. Correct. Uh, and one of the most common ways to do that is the tri-point technique. And what they're doing is 
if you measure out three, like let's say the base sizes are exactly the same, three 32 millimeter bases can surround one 32 millimeter base by getting equidistant distance at three different points. And then the center unit has no way to fall back. And then all you do is just simply say, I've based your model, so or I've based that model so that um, there is no more room for the models to pivot around that one that's there. Correct. There's no way for him to move. And the easiest way to do that is just to declare your intent. When you look at before you move your guys, just basically look, say, look, I'm going to try point this model. Um, and your opponent, the first time or a couple times you do this, your opponent obviously is either going to be frustrated that you're going to do that, and they're going to be hesitant to say, okay, it's, it's totally okay, because it's going to suck for them. Uh, but it's within the rules, and it's per perfectly legal, so just say, look, here's how it works. Explain it to them. You can put three uh, 32-millimeter base, bases around one model. You lock them in base-to-base -base contact, and you tri-point it like a triangle. And therefore, there's no room for that model to escape, and therefore, he is locked up. So yeah. you don't have to worry about measuring it perfectly. If you declare your intent with them, they, you know, most good players will be totally cool. They understand what's going on, and they'll say, yeah, fine. Yeah. So effectively, for um, a round base, you'll, you'll need three models minimum. Depending on how big the base is, you might need more just due to um, the... Uh, size of the base in question so like it's a, one of the big owners of dune crawler bases obviously you'll need more guys because well that's a big base but um but for oblong bases or for models that don't have bases like tanks you'll need a minimum four models in order to lock them in um, effectively you have to make it so that there's no way they can pivot or move the model without moving your bases now Which, that does bring up a good point mike <clears throat> There is a so one of the common things that tank players will do, especially guard players, is let's say we're playing Dawn of War and they're on the long edge of the table facing you. Mm -hmm. They are going to probably put their tanks at the far back of the board. Correct. And something to keep in mind is when you're moving, no part of the model can go off the edge of the table. So you can think about it like you're playing inside a box with walls and there are vertical walls on every edge of the table. And your models may not, even your flyers, may not violate in any way. No part of the model can go outside the edge of the table there, that wall. So you must remain within that box. What that means is that you can do a U-lock on a tank commander. And that means you only have to get about 25 to 30% of the way vertically on both sides of the tank. Uh, so if you've, let's say you've charged the guardsman, you fought twice, you've got extra movement, you don't have to get 100% around the tank commander. You can get a unit or a model on both sides of the tank commander. And by doing that, your tank commander doesn't have the ability to pivot and rotate back and fall back because he would go, he would exceed the back of the board. And by doing that, that would break the rules. So therefore, you've locked in, if you, if you measure a model on the table sometime and you just put a couple models next to it, it's actually very easy because his model cannot technically bump your model either when he's falling Correct. back. So if he does that, that also is violating it. So it's very, very easy to lock those tank commanders when you have those opponents uh, or players that 
line their tank commanders up as far back as like literally on the back of the board that's like you know gift wrapping it for you if you can get there mm-hmm. so. um and then there's another one mike and this has come up a couple times um and you might be able to kind of explain this a little bit better but you can essentially trap a model on a ledge yes so that one is um we've had some discussion about that recently and um, effectively so the rules for terrain are actually very bespoke um the rule book has the initial rules for them and then chapter approve updates the terrain rules each edition that comes out to also include the new rules and any revisions they made and so for mechanicum terrain it is explicit but even for like older ruins um, it's implicitly uh, described as models can clamber or can climb walls. And so effectively, unless a model is next to a set of stairs, a ladder, some sort of like a beam that goes between levels or a wall, they cannot just freely jump, go up and down levels in multi-story ruins. And so if you manage to effectively trap a model like on the edge of a ruin where he's not, they're not next to any way to traverse up or down, they are trapped there um, and uh, can't go anywhere. And Which, another, I was thinking about this actually, another reason why they can't do that. Kill Team actually introduces the concept of being able to jump down. Yes. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons they put that in there is because in a lot of cases you could theoretically trap units. I, I remember one of our battles on the, on the Kill Team Ruins <laughs> uh, where my Rubik yeah. Marine Sorcerer got up there and was fighting and basically wasn't getting through anything it was like well i've had enough of this and then jumped down yes <laughs> and you couldn't do that in 40k because there is no ability to essentially jump down correct there's no there's no way for you to just you can move freely through floors but that is within the context of having to be next to a wall in order to climb walls to go up and down so for what it's worth um one thing i would like to also kind of mention here in closing is um the that you can get when you're trying to trap stuff you can get into a situation where you know if you swing with your dudes you're going to absolutely wipe them um, this happened to me about a week ago in a practice game i had my zangors into a unit of infiltrators and i had my demon prince charge in as well and the way the battle evolved as things were going out, I realized that I didn't want to kill. I, I was able to lock the infiltrators. And because I was able to do that in combat, I did not want to kill the infiltrators. Now, had I swung with my demon prince with his talents, that would have completely wiped the rest of them that are there. He's, he's a beast. But one of the things that they made sure everybody knew or they clarified in, in, I think, chapter approved, was that every model in the game is considered to have the close combat weapon, which is just a strength user, AP dash, one damage attack. And it is based on the, the number of attacks that are there. And when you swing with a, a model, you can swing with whatever weapon they have. And unless it says, oh, you get an additional bonus attack with this weapon. So a good example is... Um, with a Baden, he has Drachnian, and that sword gets D6 attacks, as long as you don't roll a 1. You get D6 bonus attacks with that weapon when you attack, which means his base attacks, you can use anything you want, but those bonus attacks have to be with that other weapon. 
So that's the exception to this. But when you have a situation where, hey, you know, I just want to swing using my um, my close combat weapons, bam, you can just do that, and you just choose that as your weapon profile. So with my demon prince, I'm just swinging at strength six, uh, or strength, yeah, strength six or seven or whatever it is base, um, you know, with his base attacks. And oh look, you saved them all. Uh, that's a pity. So you can do that to keep, to make sure that you don't kill things, and you could do that with Zangors too if you if you know your AP is gonna just rip through them, but you realize, you know what, I don't wanna kill them, uh, you can do that. So just keep that in your back pocket. Yeah. The other thing you can do is, uh, just if for instance, your opponent pulls models from the unit in question, is just choose not to pile in. You can, you can just stay where you are. That is yep. a valid strategy. But that is probably going to do it for uh, Zangor tactics. I'm sure we could probably keep going and do some endless examples with a board or um, a battle report to to get into the intricacies of it. But uh, hopefully, that you know, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that we've just covered that is going to be obvious to some people. But hopefully, there's a lot there that you know, if you're just starting with it or you're just you know, you've never had to really use Zangors that much, you've got some you've got some info there to, to help you through it. So, yep. All right. So Warzone Houston is coming up this weekend. Yes, it is. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> Mike, why don't we start to talk about our lists that we're going to be taking to Warzone? Uh, you've been kind of quiet. I've been doing all the talking. Let's see well, what you're taking. I am taking the fantastical, a marvelous El Yanari. You know, that the same list I ran uh, the last uh, tournament. And um, literally, they're making no changes to it. Effectively, I feel that uh, it's a fairly solid list. It's probably not going to go 5-0 and or anything. However, I think it'll definitely surprise some people, um, especially those who have uh, been lulled into a false sense of security with the cries of Inari suck. <laughs> um, and generally I'm just going to have a good time. Uh, I think that I've learned my lesson from LVO that I effectively don't enjoy the game when I take it too seriously. And uh, we'll uh, see how things go. Last year we had a blast playing pure Harlequins. And so oh, yeah. this uh, yeah, that's be right. Good. It's amazing. It's been a year since then. It has. So much has changed. <clears throat> it has. It really has. I mean, I think, uh, was it Houston? No, Houston, you had the Harlequins, but I think yeah. it was War Games time you had the... Uh, yeah, I had the Chaos. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, and your wonderful which... first round that you showed up, what, like 10, 10 minutes after? The <laughs> like, well, my the game. game. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was awful. But um, so effectively, my list is uh, sort of counter to the common wisdom with the, the new Inari. I'm running all three factions of Eldar, so Harlequins, Dark Eldar, and Craft World, in order to sort of take the, the most advantage of the fluffiness of the army. And uh, obviously, that requires to bring all three characters, which I actually like the three characters. Each of them does their own sort of thing. Um, the only, the, the Vizarch's kind of weak Man. compared to the other two but he, he does a good job uh, he shaved 10 wounds off of a, a knight uh, the last time I used him so oh wow uh, there you go how did that happen 
Um, well, you see, the knight charged the squad of dire avengers. The Vizark uh, heroically intervened and then proceeded to start shaving wounds off of the knight with his ridiculous super sword. Oh, that's kind of right. He has a really good sword. I forgot about that thing. Yep. And, I think uh, most people do. Yep. Huh. And then because uh, I killed his warlord, I mean, I went first on the next turn, and so I just shaved a couple more wounds off and then he you know got squished because knights happen <laughs> well at least with you taking those three characters you also maximize your your wound regeneration mechanic yes kind of makes sense that if you're going to run yanari now with the new rules you almost I think you almost need to have the three of them on there to make it to make it work yeah it really doesn't make any sense not to bring uh the characters because of the how effective the wound regeneration can be on them, I don't see why you wouldn't. Right. And um, I guess the main thing is you have to sort of build the list around those three characters. And if you can manage to do that, you'll have a good time. So your expectation you think is uh, maybe three? I'm thinking three and two. Yeah. Well, I think I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, I'm actually curious to see what you're bringing in because you're all gloom and doomy after that last game. I was like, oh, I'm yeah. going to play Tau now. I was like, oh, oh it, God. Is that actually happening? That's probably happening, but oh, I'm I don't know that I want to let that cat out of the bag yet. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would like to point out the horribleness that both of the people doing the Thousand Sons podcast aren't bringing Thousand Sons. That, that is awful. I have Thousand Sons in my list. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. I will have you know that Aramon has not left my side the whole time. Well, that's good. And, and every army that I have taken, including my, you know, shenanigan dreadnought list to LVO, has had some element of Thousand Suns in it. Um, so I'm taking, I'm taking a mix of all the trash that I've had the last year. Um, Speaking of LBO, uh, Mr. Chaos Lord with his chainsword power sword combo, he's back in his Alpha Legion Vanguard detachment with three Contemptor Dreadnoughts with Butcher Cannons. So those guys are back. Uh, I am taking a uh, Spearhead detachment that is going to be Flawless Host. Uh, I've got two of the Lord Discordance Bell Flamers, uh, Flawless Host Legion trait on them. They're wonderful, they do an amazing amount of attacks. In fact, this past weekend, I practiced against a friend's orc army who had 90 boys. I took the relic mecha tendrils. <laughs> and he single-handedly wiped as an entire unit of boys just with the additional attacks that he had, you know, exploding on fives. It was just absolutely incredible. Um, <laughs> and in, in case yeah. you aren't aware, that thing you get one additional attack for every unit that's within one inch. Every him. model. That's every model. Yeah, sorry. Every model. So you pile into a giant unit of boys, and if they're packed together, which they were, you just slide them sideways. And mm -hmm. you go, well, it looks like there's 12 boys within range. So that's going to be 12 additional attacks. And exploding on five. So look at that. That's great. So he had a good time. Um, I have also brought a Hellforged Dreadclaw drop pod. 
And that is in the same uh, detachment that has three squads of Havocs, two with auto cannons, one with the Reaper chain cannons. Uh, it's a combination of Havocs that I've been playing with the last couple weeks that tends to work pretty good. You get a good amount of shooting out of it. Um, there's Slanesh Havocs because they have to be in the Flawless Host, and that seems to work pretty good with uh, being, you know, having the Slanesh shoot twice stratagem. Um, I kind of miss out a little bit on the Devastation Battery there. I, I'm, I hem and hawed on it, and just the way my list generation worked out, that's just kind of how it worked. And then I complete it with a Thousand Suns Battalion, uh, because we've obviously only got two command points at this point, or five command points at this point, so we need a little bit more to make the list work, uh, where I bring Aramond, a Demon Prince with Wings, uh, a squad of Cultists, and two 20-man squads of Sangors for a grand total of exactly 2,000 points. Fancy. I think I'm like six points short, but there's nothing I can do about that. It's okay. It happens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's what we're taking it again. I, I kind of feel very similar that three and two is going to be likely. Um, you know, personally, it's more... I, I'm in a lull at the moment that I'm not playing very well. Uh, a lot of the games I've just... I've either made mistakes or... You know, the... or your dice betray you. Have you have you banished those inch dice to the uh, far out ends of the warp yet? Oh yeah, and then I switched to my other dice, and whatever it was, it came with me with those other dice. So uh, that is unfortunate. It is bad. Uh, failed a six inch charge in in that game against the orcs, so I lost that one, and then failed a zangor charge as well, even with the reroll. So yeah. Uh, Whatever has been going on has not been working very well. Maybe the odds just haven't been with me. I don't know, but I guess that's that's more of like a confidence thing that it definitely helps to play a list and know that you've you've won some games with it and you know, go from there. So that's I'm I'm kind of tempering my expectations a bit and just kind of realizing that yeah, I don't th I don't think I'm going to perform quite as well as I did at San Antonio where I went four mm -hmm. and one. But um, you know we'll see. I I think I have the ability to handle. Almost everything I can go against hordes. I can go against tanks. I can go against knights. Um, you know, and we'll just kind of we'll see what happens. So. Yeah, this new knight meta scares me. Just actually uh, pondered briefly. He's like, you know what'd be funny? Four wraith knights. Oh God! Like this is gonna be awful. But let's have a good time. I always wanted to play it. <laughs> Evan Gelly in the game. Well, you said Knight Meta, and then you said Wraith Knights, and I, just, <laughs> I have no answer to that. I just have. No I know it's it's uh, a uh, not elusive thought. I don't I don't know what came over me. It was a brief stint of madness. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely true. Well, looking ahead here. Um, Warzone Houston, it looks like we've got about 80 to 82 players, somewhere in that range. I, I haven't added them all up, but um, we've got a good collection of players that are going to be there. Um, they just had the Desert Rat um, GT, I think. Uh, it wasn't this past weekend, but it was the weekend before. Hmm. Um, and uh, that was out in El Paso. And a bunch of the guys from out there, I think, are coming out. Uh, Vince Arroyo will be here. Uh, looks like uh, Dino Sedanos, shout out to him and the Fragout guys coming from San Antonio. 
Um, Dino's been on a roll lately with his Necrons. He was top table at El Paso against another good player from Dallas, uh, Nick Sutherland, um, who also is going to be there. Um, we've obviously got uh, a bunch of the uh, the Houston guys, uh, Colin McDade, uh, Mike DeHoyas, uh, Eric Tat. Those guys are all going to be there. Um, they've all been performing pretty well. Um, it, it's going to be a really good mix of, uh, of folks. Um, it looks like Joni uh, Velasquez has gone back to Chaos Demons, uh, just kind of looking at some of the folks. he he. I've seen him run Chaos and Orcs at different events. He tends to do really good with Chaos. Um, I think he went undefeated last year at Warzone with Chaos Space Marines. I think he had some like Obliterators and some other stuff in there, but that was pre- pre-new pre obliterators, um, but his list will be pretty cool. It'd be cool to see what it, what it actually turns out to be. Um, they're obviously all all restricted at the moment, so I can't see them. Um, but we have, uh, you know, Colin Coons is in there. Uh, yeah. You know, it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, we've got a bunch of... Uh, it, I, I have a feeling we're going to see a ton of those stupid custody grab tanks that are I'm sorry, but everybody knows they're way underpointed at the moment. They are so good and ridiculous that if you've been on the receiving end of them, it sucks. Yeah, I have not yet had that misfortune. <laughs> I'm uh, hoping to uh, avoid that whole thing. Avoid that entire thing. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, uh, I have not escaped it. Seeing that, you know, we have. Uh, we actually have, I think, like three custodies players. Uh, three or four competitive custodies players in Houston alone. Uh, so it's been pretty impossible to avoid it. Um, I think the tank commander night thing is probably still going to be a thing. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling we'll probably see some folks running Jim Ves a variation of Jim Vessel's list with uh, the Contemptor, the Plague Bearers. In fact, I would wager to bet that there will be a number of lists uh, Considering the fact that TJ Lanigan just did really good this past weekend with a similar list, the 60 Plague Bearers shield, and then whatever else you throw in there with a bunch of psychers or whatever else you fit in, seems to be kind of like the MO build right now of Chaos. Um, most of the lists that you see run that. My, my guess is we'll see other lists that have kind of spun off on that and just kind of run variations of it with you know, some other stuff that are there, but if you can't deal with 60 plate bearers, um, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to figure something out. Yeah. The, I think, uh, so obviously chaos, people keep trying chaos. I think there's some conception there that chaos has all these awesome new things and they should be awesome. However, I, we keep coming back to Effectively, you show up with Chaos, you're having a good time, and then you run into that one Cadian list. Because there's like <laughs> always five or six of them in every GT you go to. Mm -hmm. I mean, hell, the last tournament you went to, that, your first game was against the Cadian list. And literally turns into, okay, do I go first? No, good game. And um, if you don't, well, I, <laughs> I hope your opponent's retarded, because um, otherwise you're in for a bad time. Well, really? that's what happened. I mean, my fourth my fourth match at uh, San Antonio was Cadian, and yeah. uh, it was pretty much just. Even then, I knew I had to go first. I did go first. I I want to say I even seized, uh, if I remember correctly. And 
um, or or essentially seized by rolling a six to go first or something something to that extent. And we were talking after the game, uh, and it was literally we were recounting everything. It's like, yeah, had I not gone first, I would have lost that match. So you know, it's kind of unfortunate because looking back to last year, uh, my best my best outcome from last year was with a list that depended on going first, which it ran Magnus and, you know, a bunch of Zangors and a bunch of other stuff. And I did pretty well in all the games I went first. So if, if that's how the game is going to be, in my opinion, then I might as well just start running Magnus and just kind of say, all right, well, this is, this is the sword we live by. Right. I don't know. That is what it is right now. I have a feeling everything's going to shake up here, you know, once the uh, the Chaos Knights start showing up. They're, we're going to have some fuel for another episode because they've got some incredible stuff in there. And obviously, um, there's been some leaks about a Psyker Chaos Knight that... Uh, oh, God. Just That's exactly what I need in my life. Shout out to, to Alizarium and uh, the guys on the uh, Thousand Sun subreddit who were all, you know, behind Team Psyker Knight. You know, they were all willing it to happen, and apparently it has. So that's going to be a thing. Um, but it, I'm definitely thinking we're going to see some builds that can run Thousand Suns with Knights. Um, maybe even some that can just kind of run out with your Zangors and just get into combat right away. Um, that might be pretty cool. So hopefully we'll see. And that stuff should all be in play for WarGamesCon in Austin uh, coming up in August. And uh, after that, that's, that's going to be the... Uh, culminating event of the texas circuit so with that i think we're gonna have to wait and see what happens on uh this saturday so yeah best of luck to you mike and to you as well sir i i hope we don't play each other because uh we played each other so often recently yeah i feel that we need to see other players (laughs) is that what it's come to I think so. Okay. Well, with that, well, at least I can say that Magnus did nothing wrong. Magnus did, in fact, do nothing wrong. Magnus did nothing wrong.